You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. Last night felt like it was it for the Charlotte Hornets. Gut punch. That didn't feel good last night. That was the one, especially because of the opponent that they were playing in the Miami Heat. We're in that territory, like I said, where every single game is a huge game for the Charlotte Hornets if they're if they're looking to get in the postseason. But especially with it being the Miami Heat last night, it seemed like a brutal loss. And we do have a guest today to talk about it. It's going to be tough for us to just go scorched earth on the Charlotte Hornets, so we're going to get somebody else to do it, or at least try to. We have a guest today. He was at the Heat-Hornets game last night. We had to get him on now because if he gets any bigger, Doug, we're going to be small potatoes before long. He just reached 10000 followers on Twitter. And if you're not following him, you really should. He really is a fantastic follow. It's Nikias Duncan from Dime Up Rocks, a colleague of her boy Nada. Nikias, thanks so much for joining us, man. How are you? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me up. Yeah, man. We appreciate you joining us. And for those that don't know, Nikias covers the heat, but drops plenty of general NBA knowledge frequently as well. So, Nikias, uh, this resembled what seemed like when you look at this game last night, it resembled that of a high-scoring college game with all the zone and neither team breaking the century mark. After last night's matchup, who do you feel better about making the playoffs? Charlotte does have the one-game lead now on Miami, but uh, both teams still right there in the same category. Um, I would probably lean Miami at this point just because it feels like they've kind of they finally shortened their rotation. It seems like they know what they want to do now. Um, the defense is going to be there. They've really leaned on the, the zone defense a lot this year. I think they are, I think, third in total zone possessions. And they've been in the top five all year in efficiency on that mark. Um, it's just hard to trust Charlotte when Kimba doesn't have it going. And that's kind of always stood out. They really lack. Um, a secondary creator to really take pressure off of him consistently, and that kind of showed last night. Nikias, was Hassan Whiteside, it's somebody that always kills the Charlotte Hornets. Was he the difference in this game from your point of view? Yeah, and I think he, he really made an impact off the bench last night. Especially when Charlotte went zone, Miami didn't know what to do with it, which was odd considering how much zone they play. But once um, Hassan was able to get into those scenes in the middle of the zone, he was able to... Um, really put pressure on the rim with put bags on um, those little touch shots. He dunked a few times. Um, he really changed the dynamic of that game with his play inside. The guys, we also were talking about Eric Spolstra yesterday, and we talk about James Borrego. He, he constantly was talking about player development heading into this season. He was adamant about it. And we were discussing with Eric Spolster. It seems like he is able to get the most out of his young players. It seems like he does develop them very well. And you've seen Bam Adebayo grow quite a bit. It just how big of a factor is is that part of Eric Spolster's coaching? And, and just how have you seen him become a, a good guy as far as developing talent with that team? Yeah, I would probably argue that aside from his his call the card is defense, but aside from that, player development is probably his best trait. Um, Heat fans have been a little frustrated with him just because the the roster itself is so redundant that it's kind of had Bam out of bio stuck with playing time. Um, Justice Winslow hasn't had the ball in his hands as much as some Heat fans would like. But just in a general sense, um, the exposure really seems to have a pulse of what young guys need, how slowly or how fast they need to be brought along. Um, that stood out with a guy like Derrick Jones Jr., who's kind of come out of nowhere, and he's gone from super athlete to leveraging that athleticism to being an elite offensive rebounder, a guy that's really been a big part of his own defense success. 
Um, we're starting Bam Adebayo to starting the last few games. He's really starting to grow. Josh Richardson taking a leap offensively. Um, Sloan has trusted him a lot with more um, offensive responsibility. So I think Sloan has a good chance on player development. Nikai, as you mentioned, just it's really tough for Charlotte to win games if Kimba Walker has an off night. He only had five field goals against the Miami Heat. But just looking at the future for this team, if they don't make the playoffs, if they do, we've often discussed on if Kimba Walker, what kind of traits would make him sign with the Hornets and which ones would make him leave. If you're Charlotte, though, and do you contemplate just letting Kimba Walker go away and leave in free agency? What do you do if you're Charlotte, Nikai? Um, I think it's too late to let him go at this point. Um... I live pretty close to the Charlotte area, so I know what Kimball means to the community. I understand why they would want to keep him. But I've been saying for like the last year and a half, they probably should trade him and go with a real rebuild if they want to have some sort of sustainable success. Because once you lock Kimball into a four or five-year deal, there isn't much flexibility to be had. There aren't many attractive assets on the roster at the moment. Um, some guys could pop. I like Miles Bridges quite a bit. Um, Leap Monk is pretty hit or miss right now, but he's had his flashes. Um, that's why I was a big fan of them trying to go on after Mark Gasol, trying to deliver some of those long contracts that they do have. So if you make the playoff push with Gasol and Kimba, you have something to show for it. And if it doesn't work out, then you can at least clear some cap a little bit so you can start to see the outline of a plan moving forward. But right now, they really seem to be stuck in the middle, and that's a scary place to be when you're not like a glamour destination. Nikai, as you mentioned, you like Miles Bridges. Is there something specifically you like about his game? Like, what what capacity do you like him in? Is there a ceiling you see from him? I mean, just from a fan perspective, I mean, he has not met a center he's not afraid to try to dunk on. <laughs> and he nearly ended Hassan Whiteside's life last And we would have loved that, by the way. Him. Hornets fans would have oh. rejoiced all over the area had that happened. <laughs> oh, man, that, that dunk attempt was wild. But um, his athleticism, his length, um, I think his shot is going to be his shot is going to translate to. I think he'll be a plus three point shooter, a guy that can defend two or three positions. Um, he just seems to fit the mold of a modern wing and what you want in those kind of guys. And Malik Monk, Nikaias, just going with the young guys here. It looks like that's might uh, be what everybody is paying attention to if the Hornets don't make the playoffs, and it certainly looks slim right now. Uh, what, what is your overall gut feeling on Malik Monk and whether he makes it in this league or not? It's at a certain level where the Hornets certainly want him to as the number eleventh overall pick. Um, I don't think he will become a star in Charlotte. I think just the pairing of him and Kimball Walker kind of puts a ceiling on your team just because both of those guys are smaller and you're, you're going to have some limitations defensively there. Offensively, he hasn't really had much room to expand because Charlotte has been in make-the-playoff mode since he's been there. And Charlotte has always stocked their backcourts with um, veterans behind Kemba. So I I do like parts of Malik Monk's games. He can obviously get buckets whenever. Um, you would like to see some of the passing instincts improve, maybe see a little bit of more growth on the defensive end, but I'm not sure how highest ceiling is in Charlotte just because of the roster construction. Nikias Dwayne Wade, last game in Spectrum last night, certainly going on the farewell tour this season. Uh, with you covering the Heat, just where you, where do you rank Dwayne Wade all time among shooting guards and just how much he's meant to the NBA and his time being there? Um, I have, I don't know, an odd affinity for some of the older players in the league. I would probably have Wade fourth behind MJ, Kobe, and West. I understand why a lot of people would have way top three. I don't argue with that at all. But, I mean, just the way he's been able to impact the game on both sides of the floor has really been unrivaled. 
by more than a handful of guys in NBA history. He was one of the most dynamic players we've ever seen. Nikias Duncan joining us here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. And Nikias, last thing, man, I, I think I saw you tweet this out that you got to cover the first All Star weekend for the first time in your career, which has been here in Charlotte, of course, just this past weekend. A lot of good reviews. Just what did you think overall of your first time covering it, and also how the uh, how good of a job uh, the city of Charlotte did? Oh, the city of Charlotte. Uh, I think they did well for what it was. Um, just as a driver, I wasn't a fan of it just because it felt like <laughs> half the city was off limits. So the traffic got a little wild. But uh, I think Charlotte did a great job of hosting it. Um, they had everything set up well. There weren't any um, there weren't any incidents that I know of. Um, the overall atmosphere was great. The players were great. It was a very late back field, even though the the weather wasn't great. They made the most of it. So well, I, well, did I you have a, yeah? Well, did you have a favorite moment, Nikias? I mean, again, it seemed like this was your first time covering it. Oh man, uh, I would say the uh, I would say the All Star Media Day on Saturday was probably the most fun I had. Just seeing all of those NBA stars just kind of in their element, getting all a wild range of questions and seeing how they react to those. Um, it was just fun seeing guys just kind of lay back and talk to us. All right, Nikias Duncan from Dime Up Rocks, Miami Heat Beat, Five Reasons Sports, and the B-Ball Index. He does it all, and we appreciate his time with us today. You can follow him on Twitter again, at NikiasNBA. Nikias, thanks for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Oh, no problem, man. Love being on again. We'll give our thoughts from the game last night. It's Walker Mail and Doug Branson next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast here, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Did he go with Myers Leonard as his first comparison as a big man hitting from the three-point line? Oh, Funny. did I say Leonard? I meant uh, Miles Turner. Okay. <laughs> you did. I think okay. you said Miles Leonard. That was Leonard. on me. Good sorry about that. That's a bad mistake. I know when I think shooting big men, Myers Leonard is the first guy that comes to mind. Absolutely. I was thinking Steve Clifford and I might be Hot the shot. same wavelength. Hot shot. There. Myers Leonard. <laughs> that's, that's his nickname. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Please listen carefully. It's Locked On Hornets presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can find myself on Twitter at Walker Mail, Doug at Doug Branson, L-O-H, Nada at Nada the Scribe, and you can find the show handle on most social media platforms at Lockdown Hornets. Appreciate Nikias joining us today. A lot of info. A lot of info for you. Smart guy. Not us. We're not giving you that type of info, but Nikias is, and that's why we have him on our show to do our jobs for us. That's today. why we have anyone on this show is so that we can we can give you the information you need and then mess around the whole time. Last night, like I said at the beginning of the show, it felt bad. And I feel like this is about a, this is the low point of the season to this point, and it might be the lowest point unless we get back in playoff contention somehow by stealing a couple of games and losing a heartbreaking one. But it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. I think 538 has the Hornets at about a 17% chance of making the postseason after Ooh. that loss to the Miami Heat last night. Um, I, we all knew how big it was. This, to me, it had the same magnitude of the away game that they played against Brooklyn just last week. If they would have lost that game, I felt like we would have 
felt like we do today they didn't they staved off the disappointment at least just another week but here it is now and when you lose that one man that one's bad and now i think everybody is looking towards the off season just the way that hornets twitter is reacting right now it seems we had mitch lawrence on who is sirius xm nba radio guy just looking over the course of the entire nba landscape he takes notice of that game last night Nobody thinks the Charlotte Hornets are going to make it with Orlando right there, with Detroit and Brooklyn, both separating themselves as the sixth and seventh seed, whichever they get. It seems like Steve Clifford just might get that eighth spot. It seems like Eric Spolstra just might get that eighth spot. It doesn't seem like James Borrego is. I think Hornets fans would have felt great last night had the had the Hornets beaten the the Phoenix Suns by 20 points they would have said all right the Hornets are back on track or take Miami for example if they had beaten Miami by 20 points and Miami couldn't hit a three to save their life or there was some other issue with Miami that allowed the Hornets to win by 20 points you'd be saying yes great the Hornets are back on track but the fact is that was a game of tit for tat of a chess match. It was a playoff-like game where both teams were trying to employ their best strategies to win the basketball game, and Miami comes out on top. And what that game tells you is that even if the Hornets were to make a little bit of a mini run, get through this tough part, latter half of their schedule, and, and either get into the playoffs definitively or back into the playoffs because Orlando and you know Brooklyn and Miami all dropped off, that the Hornets don't have what it takes to win playoff games. So if if they get into the first round, great. But but what does that really mean? Because they don't have what it takes to win playoff basketball games. Right? Well, it deems, and that's more of the discussion of, is it better for the Charlotte Hornets to just miss the playoffs entirely to try to get a higher draft pick, which it seems like now that side of the fence wins. It seems like that side is going to get what they want. And, and my, so Miami employed that zone. And you heard Nikias, like this is not something new. Uh, the Miami did not just throw it out all of a sudden. And just over the entire NBA, by the way, I don't know if you saw Greg Popovich's comments that this is something that's being employed by all coaches now. Well, you knew that defenses were eventually going to try to adjust to this new universe that we're in with with three-point shooting just exponentially on the rise. You know, these coaches are all in the lab looking at film, obsessing about it, not talking to their wives, figuring out a way to stop the the Steph Currys and the stretch fours and now the stretch fives of the world. So guys like Eric, Eric Spolstra, they're doing that. You knew it was coming. And the, the, but the extra little bit, Walker, which I found interesting, is they were not only playing zone, but they had a little wrinkle there that was, yeah, we're going to play zone, but also if Kimball Walker touches the basketball, swarm him. Take him away, play zone, and but also uh, defend Kimball Walker with everything you have. And that's how you – the Hornets are easy to solve. And that's, that's really what I'm saying with the playoff discussion. The Hornets are easy to solve. Do you want to see a team like that? going to the playoffs. Uh, they've been easy to solve all season long. The Hornets are 4-8 and eight in games where Kimba Walker makes five or less field goals. They're 1-5 when he shoots 25% or lower. 4-11 when he scores less than 20 points. 5-20, five and tw- five and 20, I should say, when he shoots 30% or less from three. And we went over those stats just a couple of days ago, and that was right after that Portland game that we were all discussing. And you look at Kimba Walker, it's another game where he hits five field goals or less, and you need the starter to carry their end of the bargain and they don't do it and so now when you look at the starters and what they did Batum and Marvin they go one of seven in this game very bad they were both extremely
extremely bad on offense. So Marvin gives you three field goals. Nick gives you three field goals. Miles gives you one. Cody does a gives you a Cody game. Gives you a double-double, 10 rebounds, 10 points, shoots 50% from the field. So Cody was the only guy that gave you what you wanted him to get you. Jeremy Lamb. In the box score, too. That's nice. Yeah, that's that's true. Yes, you can. Act, I those can are, see those That's numbers. a visual representation mm-hmm. of what he actually did. You can check those stats in the box score. The only person that showed up, even the entire game, the only person, it's Frank Kaminsky. Go, go, Frank Zilla. It's Frank Kaminsky. That's Ooh. the only guy. The last three games, Frank Kaminsky has kept them in those games. Now, he played well against Brooklyn, and there were some other guys that contributed against Brooklyn on the road. But the last two games, Frank is the only guy that has even allowed them a chance to win at the end of these games. 20 points, 15, I think 17, 18 in the middle. <laughs> and of course, right? Like This, this is how it's going to go down. Freshest legs in the NBA. <laughs> the Hornets are going to go down where everybody's swinging on the team everybody's not swinging on the team I should say except for Frank Frank is the only one with his boxing gloves on that's the only guy I gave you those stats back on Monday about how the Hornets perform when Kimball Walker is not performing at his best so just to update those numbers the Hornets are now four and eight in games where he makes five or less field goals and five and 20 when Kimball Walker shoots 30 percent or less from three he shot three of 10 30 percent from three in this one I think I just said that at the beginning though I don't think you were paying attention to me though you're right. I wasn't. Uh, I was trying to uh, be smart. <laughs> but real quickly, if, if you I didn't hear this, I, I just wanted to say that the Hornets, they are 4-8 and eight in games where he does make five field goals or less. What? And they are 5-20 and 20 when Kimba does shoot 30% or less What did you think the, the turning point, point of this game was, Walker? <laughs> what, was the, what was the moment where you went? Because I, I remember the, the Rockets game and when Harden hit his first three after going 0-9 from the field. I knew the Hornets were were really in trouble. When were they absolutely in trouble in this one? Because it seemed like for a while it was going back and forth. I'll give you three plays at the end of the game. I mean, there, there was a lot of Miami Heat domination for a lot of this. The, the Hornets were able to come back. And then at the end, you saw them. They were up by 13 points. So three plays that I go to. After the timeout, and I tweeted about this. After timeout. Kimba feels Hassan's presence in the paint, down 13, misses the layup. Heat go down the other end of the floor. Rodney Magruder hits a three. He brings that lead to 16. And failing out of a timeout, it always kills teams. If you execute out of a timeout, it significantly helps you and vice versa. Second play, Hornets are down 10 at this point. Frank hits a couple of buckets. I think Cody hits a tap in and Hornets are down 10. There's two minutes and 30 seconds left. Josh Richardson, he's near the left elbow. He's got the ball. The shot clock is fading quickly. Puts up a ridiculously hard fadeaway. Nails it. Heat go up 12. That was a killer. And then at the end, after all of that, right, after two pretty significant plays to help the Heat extend their lead, after all of it, Nick fails to box out Dwayne Wade. Too concerned with getting back on offense. Nick blew it. And who and who else would it be but Dwayne Wade, last game at the Spectrum Center, pretty much putting the icing on the cake. Those are the three plays I think you look at, and they all came within basically the last five minutes of action. Yeah, Nick Batum failing to block out uh, is obviously the play that's going to stick in everyone's mind today. But I really feel like if you go back, uh, when, the, when the Hornets are down 10 points, there's about 2.30 left in the game, and Josh Richardson has the ball with the shot clock fading, and he puts up a really hard fadeaway and knocks it down in the heat go up 12. I thought that was, to me, the moment, my signature moment from that game. We're coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're what? in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales.
What are you looking at me like that for? Uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back with more here. Plenty more on Lockdown Hornets here, Lockdown Podcast Network. This is Locked On Hornets. Did we like the Marco Bellinelli experiment here no. in Charlotte? Or are we glad that he's kind of gone? I, I, I'm one of those that's kind of glad he's I, gone. I, I, one I'm of the too. only players that has blocked Locked On Hornets on Twitter. Did he block us? <laughs> yeah. He blocked us. I, did, what, Some, did, for did we hate on him? Did we, come, did we come at him for something? Or? So I may have said, and I didn't at him or anything like that, but I may have said that his defense on LeBron James at one point resembled that of a potted plant. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Tony Parker and Marco Bellinelli. So during the break, you did have something to say. You did have a legitimate point that was not just basically regurgitated that I said. First of all, (laughs) all of my points are legitimate. Uh, you know, just because I copy and paste certain points, <laughs> that doesn't take away from the legitimacy of what I'm trying to say here, Walker. It's called uh, what do they call it in uh, in blogging when you uh, take other people's work and pretend like it's a your plagiarism? Own. Is that no, right? It's, no, it's not plagiarism. <laughs> it's not plagiarism. I think they call that plagiarism. No, plagiarizing. There's, a, there's another word, and and I'll think of it soon uh, as soon as someone else says it. <laughs> right. But no, in all seriousness, I felt like the turning point of that game came far. It, it wasn't even in the the fourth quarter. I thought it was uh, when Whiteside was, and we haven't talked a ton about him yet, have we? We haven't really talked about his impact on this game. Tobias Harris is Hassan Whiteside. Hassan Whiteside is Tobias Harris. Yeah, I mean, he destroyed them inside, and he hasn't exactly been a a number one factor for the Miami Heat this season, but he was extremely useful against the Charlotte Hornets because he was able to use his size to capitalize inside, which is going to happen when teams play zone, and the Hornets were able to do the same thing during uh, during a stretch uh, leading into the fourth quarter, the problem was it was Biombo who who was dominating inside, getting offensive rebounds, tapping things back out. Hornets shooters could not capitalize. Biombo got fouled at one point, missed two free throws. Meanwhile, on the other end, Whiteside is getting offensive rebounds, finishing them uh, for second chance points, or kicking kicking it out to shooters who could also finish. And to me, that that's just sort of says something about this Hornets roster. They're, they're, they're not deep. They've had to sacrifice so much in the name of getting a little defense on the floor, and, and it kills them at certain stretches in the game. How about big men destroying the Charlotte Hornets here the last in three of the last four games? Right? You have Clint Capella going for 17 rebounds, Nurkic, and 20 points, by the way, and Nurkic getting you 17 rebounds for Portland, Hassan Whiteside in 20 minutes of action off of the bench, four blocks, 15 rebounds, Dropping a 20-piece. Well, this team has been searching for an inside presence for several years now. Inside presence and backup point guard. They've been looking for those two things for a few years now. They've tried Roy Hibbert. They tried Dwight Howard. They tried a variety of different backup point guard options. They solved the backup point guard option with Tony Parker, who you know did struggle in that game against Miami, but has had great performances uh, this year. But they, have, they just haven't been able to unlock. How do you put some size down there? Uh, how do you put some effort down there on the boards? And, and also still be able to put enough shooting on the floor. So good news, bad news here, because it's a lot of bad news if you wanted the Hornets to make the playoffs, and not by their design, but it's good news for you if you wanted them to tank this entire season and try as best as they could to get the best possible, the highest possible selection in this upcoming draft. So the good news is that you do get 
a lottery pick. It does seem like that is what's going to come the Charlotte Hornets way. And they're only two games above the Washington Wizards in the standings right now. So this game on Friday, it is going to be at the Spectrum Center. But there's a chance that they lose that game and then they get even closer to getting a better pick. There's a better chance that they could get a higher selection. The bad news is the Hornets failed what they sought out to do. Hornets wanted to make the playoffs this entire season. Them getting a better draft pick is not by design. And that's something that you have to be concerned with, because regardless of whether they kind of fall backwards into something you wanted to happen this entire time anyway, it doesn't bode well that a team had a goal to reach and they failed to do so in a pretty miserable way. Right, because they are they are making decisions that serve that goal and don't necessarily serve the other goal that you may, as a fan, <laughs> you may want them to lose. You may want it's quite them to the tank. opposite. Yeah, exactly. They're they're going in one direction. And listen, you, you you honestly, even if you don't want them to do a certain thing, I really feel like you have to, if they have a clear vision of what they want to do, you have to hope that they can do it. Otherwise, it's been somewhat of a waste of time. And the one thing you can look at at the trade deadline was they did not want to lighten the protection on a first-round pick in order to get a Marcus All on this team. So they didn't go all out, and I think that was, as much as I would have liked to have seen Marcus All play for the Charlotte Hornets, even if it would have been just for, I, I would have liked to have seen him pick up that player option, but even if it was just for a while, even if it was just for a year and a half, I, I'm not hating the fact that Mitch Kupchak did not allow him, did not allow the Memphis Grizzlies to get a first-round pick from them. At the same time, this team is talented enough to make the playoffs, and if they, if they... They did have the chance. If if they really wanted to make the playoffs, and they should have done it, and they didn't do it, and it's it's not you know the the door is not finally shut. I mean, it's not clear cut that they're not going to make it. But seventeen percent by five thirty eight, it seems like that's all of the reality that we're accepting right now. Certainly doesn't look good. I think that where a lot of the tension comes from fans who are are watching what is unfolding out on the court night in night out. I think they feel like this team is trying to serve two masters. So on the one hand, you're making certain decisions that you feel like are necessary to get to the first round of the NBA playoffs. Now, you you, you might not think you can get to the second round of the NBA playoffs, but you're really making decisions to try to get to the first round. But you hire James Borrego to develop youth and look towards the future. You didn't sacrifice certain assets to bring certain players in at the trade deadline because you're looking at your future. And so it's this fence riding. Uh, it's this not being able to decide, are we going to go all out to do one thing or are we going to go all out and do another thing that I think has, or at least the, the interpretation that that's what's happening is causing tension in the fan base. All right. Thanks to you for listening today. Thanks to Nikias for joining us here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Locked On Hornets. We've got one more show to wrap up the week. That's tomorrow. Aggregation. That was the word I was looking for.